This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Doug Sands, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here, and I wish I was a little warmer. Um, we're recording this on February 16th, so listener, you're hearing this the day after we recorded it. And uh, right now, according to my Apple Watch, it is 11 degrees in Houston, Texas. 11 degrees. There is snow on the sand on Galveston Beach. This is record breaking chill um what makes it even more difficult doug is next week we'll be in the upper 70s so like why can't we be in the upper 70s right now um <laughs> so i got my heating pad and my blanket and i'm ready to do a great interview with you uh before we get started who in the world is doug sands and what do you do yeah so i call myself the meaningful life hypnotist because i work with people all around the world using zoom and i focus on helping them find their purpose and and getting that you know, getting that cemented, I'm often bringing in tools along uh, um, motivation and confidence and working with mental illnesses like anxiety and depression and things like that. But my main focus is really helping people take ownership of their lives. And hypnosis is one of the main tools that I use to do that. Now, that's a really key phrase you just uh, mentioned, ownership of your life. There's a lot of people uh, I'm sure you've met a lot of them for what you do. I've certainly met some of them as clients and people on social media. They're like, well, I wish I could live my life. And I'm like, why aren't you living your life? You're 40 years old. You're 50 years old. Whose life are you living? And they're like, well, my parents wanted me to go into the business or I'm really gifted doing this, but I don't like doing this. I, I sit there and scratch my head. I'm like, wait a minute. This is your life, right? You have a house. Yeah, I got my house and you're married. Yeah, I'm married. I'm like, so why are you living someone else's life? And I, I, I just want to camp out on that for a few minutes. Why do you think people don't want to take ownership of their lives? I think it all comes down to they're still running the patterns that they were told either in childhood or early adolescence, whatever it is. We have this, um, we have so much, so much expectation placed on us, especially in the States about um, achievement and following the path. I know in my own life, I was expected to go straight from high school and into college and climb up the corporate ladder, essentially. And when I didn't follow that path, it was as if I was I was breaking the rules. <laughs> and I, I had to I had to come to terms with that. And I had to really sit down with my family and say, like, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to be all right. I think it comes down to a fear that either you're, I don't know, going to starve or something or going to... Um, just be a failure in the view of your family and your friends. I wrote an article oh, a couple of weeks ago. It's on my website. It's also on medium that says it was titled my non-entrepreneurial friends don't understand me. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're around people who are not entrepreneurs, they tell you things like get a job. You can make a million dollars an hour, but they still don't understand what are you doing? You, you're a coach. Uh, you're you're a meaningful life hypnotist. What, I, what, get a job. We have jobs, but the problem is people don't understand that we're more in control of our destiny than people go to corporate America. But I'm not saying if you work for a corporation, you're, you're there's something wrong with you. It's just your thing. But I think that there's a stigma to people outside the entrepreneur space that don't understand that we work really hard and we do have a real job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. When I was the first year of my business, my family was like, you know, how's the business going? Talking about it like it was a hobby or something like this <laughs> is what I am devoting 40 hours a week or more every, you know, 
on top of doing a part-time job to make sure I've got some income coming in to pay the bills. Like I am devoted to this. Like this is not a hobby. This is what I am doing full-time. That is hysterical. Uh, our family dentist uh, graduated with honors with a mechanical engineering degree. And after he got his degree, he said, you know, I don't want to be a mechanical engineer. I want to be a dentist. Went back to school to become a dentist, graduated from there for honors. Now, I don't recommend you do that, waste all that time. But listen, he realized, now I don't know if he realized it as he, in the middle of his uh, mechanical engineering uh, degree or toward the end. But at some point he goes, you know what? This doesn't light me up. Let me go find out something that does. And I think we need to do that. We need, uh, we're tossing around the world self-aware a lot these days uh, with 2020 and 2021. We need to stop and think, okay, what do I want? You know, not what mom and dad or your friends want or what they're doing, but what's on your heart. And if you want to be a social worker, there's nothing wrong with that. You won't make a lot of money. That's fine. But I think we need to find what makes us happy. I mean, I wake up every day, every day, seven days a week, excited for the new day. It's like a, I'm a kid at Christmas time. I get a new day to unwrap. You need to live life that way. So if you are listening to this conversation with me and Doug and you're like, man, I don't have that. Well, you know, we're going to give you some insights and some strategies and how you can find it out. But, you know, look what's in your heart. What is in your heart? What do you love to do? So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, that reminds me of literally the magic question in uh, in this field. It's it's what you just said. We ask people four words. What do you want? And so many times clients coming in, they've never asked that because I don't know, they feel selfish asking it or they feel scared of the answer. But oftentimes when I ask that question, they'll give me answers of what they don't want. Like, I don't want to feel anxious anymore or I don't want to struggle in my job. Like, OK, that's cool. But someone someone came in and they said, I don't want to be anxious anymore. And I said, OK, I can, I don't know, make you hungry or something. And they said, that's that's not what I want. You've got to identify what you do want. And I, I give the metaphor of like a ship leaving an island out on the ocean. If your only goal is to leave the island, you can go in 360 degrees, but that's not getting you closer to any any other landmass that you want to actually end up on. To actually get where you want to go, you have to frame your target state and nail it down exactly what you want. And personally, working with a lot of people searching for their meaning, they don't know what that is quite yet. And so I always say, get it as close as you can. Um, you know, like when you start out on this path, you know, you're probably a, not going to be an engineer if that's not what you're really interested in. If you have an interest in like arts or in this case, dentistry, like you might not know exactly where you fall along that path, like what job you're going to do, but you can at least start moving in that direction. One of the things I tell my clients to do, and I'd like, you know, your thoughts on this when people say, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what my calling is. What I tell them to do is go get a go get a notebook and go get something to write with. Go someplace quiet. And I mean, nobody talking, no dogs barking, no TV, no city jackhammering your front street. And just sit there for an hour or two hours and just brainstorm everything you like to do. Just keep writing and writing and writing. And usually something will pop off the page. Maybe it's something that's been in the back of your mind for years. Like, oh, my gosh, I forgot I used to love to do that. I, this is what really helps people unlock their true power. Do you agree with that? And if, what would you add to it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's an excellent strategy. So many of my clients, so I come from a meditation background and so many of my clients have never actually sat down to sit with their own thoughts. 
like that's that's not what we do over here in the West. And my family, especially, like they were always busy because that was their way of not thinking about things. And so to me, working with my clients, like when I suggest an exercise like that, sometimes people are terrified. They're like, I'm going to sit for like an hour or two and just sit there and write. And they're terrified of what comes up. But after they get over that initial fear, absolutely sitting down and just sitting with your thoughts and asking that question, what do I want? Like what lights me up? What's my passion? That's how you get to the root of where you actually want to go in life. And here's the thing, uh, listener, don't miss what Doug is saying. When he says sitting with your thoughts, he doesn't mean scrolling on social media or checking messages or checking your email. He means you either write down your thoughts or think about your thoughts or you don't do anything else. And I think because we live in a world, Doug, that we're on 24-7, 365, we have all these bright, shiny objects of social media and, and streaming and games, that we don't ever get quiet. I read um, Jay Shetty's book, Think Like a Monk, and he really helped me understand what meditation really is. I used to think you had to sit in the lotus position and go, um, and he goes, no, if you're in a shower and, and you're just like present and you're just like being that could be a sign of meditation if you go out for a run because i'm a daily runner and and you don't have headphones in you're just out running that could be a form of meditation because we don't take time just to be quiet just to be fully present we always have to be doing something yeah and i see it in my own life like when i have a chunk of time like two to three minutes when i don't know then before the next appointment or something my mind the first instinct is to find something to distract myself or to <laughs> find something I can do in like two to three minutes to be productive. And like meditation, it doesn't have to be something that you sit down for 20 minutes or 30 minutes to do. Like one of the earliest practices I did was just like 60 seconds of mindfulness in the middle of the day. And my teacher would recommend any time that you find yourself, your thoughts, you know, with a chunk of time, just reconnect with your body and like check in with your thoughts like and take a couple deep breaths for like 60 minutes or 60 seconds and that was it and we're so conditioned to try to squeeze every single drop of potential out of every day and when i tell someone like a business owner who uh, is running all the time to do 60 seconds of this meditation they're like i can't do that like i've got to schedule that in or something <laughs> and and i say when I do these 60 seconds, it's a moment for me to breathe. And I am so much more productive in the next hour or two hours just for that single minute. Hey there, it's Mark. And I want to invite you to become a Mark Struchowski insider and get the top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs absolutely free. It all happens over at MrProductivity.com. Mm. Cal Newport, one of my favorite authors, wrote two books. One is called Deep Work. The other is called Digital Minimalism. And I don't know what book he said this in, but he says, we need to get back to embracing the boredom. I love that phrase. And what he's talking about is when you go to the store, okay, and you're waiting in line to check out, what are we doing? We're, we're scrolling social media. He goes, here's an idea. Why not look around and look at the, the way the store is decorated or look at what people are wearing or what little kids are doing. But to your point, we're always have to be doing something, but he suggests embracing the boredom. And, and I try to catch myself at that. I'm like, okay, I'm bored right now. And I go to reach through my iPhone. I'm like, oh, stop, just be bored. I, I think that because there's so much going on in our world today, we fear boredom, but I think boredom can be a good thing. Do you agree? Absolutely. I, boredom is where our creativity comes from. I don't think that you could have that really creative sense 
without being bored first. I grew up in Wisconsin. It, you know, it's actually negative 34 degrees right there. So <laughs> glad I'm not right there right now. But um, I was bored a lot of time. And that was great for me because I grew up wanting to be a fiction writer. And I had all this time to, to dream and to uh, really look at what I wanted to write. And we see this. I, I was reading this study once about... Uh, the influential people who came out of rural areas. Like if you go to, um, I think it's George S. Patton's hometown, it's this rural little podunk town in the middle of Indiana. I think Herbert Hoover grew up in West Branch, Iowa, which is like this really tiny town where there's nothing to do. When you have that boredom, your mind starts to search for things to entertain itself. And that's where our creativity comes from. It's essential. And whether you do it for entrepreneurial gains or for creative gains, uh, you need that boredom to really give your mind um, some food for thought to create something new. Mm. Uh, last couple of days here in Houston, about third of the power, a lot third of the people lost power, and I, I can't. As we're having this conversation, I can't help but think. Man, these people must be utterly bored when their phone died. What are you going to do? I mean, you can't go on social media. What are you going to do? And now some people are like out walking around. They're helping other neighbors, you know, maybe do whatever they need to do. But I remember you mentioned minus 34 in Wisconsin. I grew up in Rochester, New York. And I remember we had those snow days and you couldn't go outside. I mean, you literally, it's a blizzard. Now, you are from Michigan, uh, Wisconsin. You understand that there's a difference between a blizzard and a snowstorm. A lot of people think they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. If you've lived through a blizzard, you understand. <laughs> but there's times when you get a bad blizzard, and you can't even go outside to play with your friends. And maybe the power goes out. Now, I'm going back to the 70s where we didn't have the internet, didn't have cable or satellite TV. And if the power went out, you had to figure something to do. I mean, you just... You were bored. And I remember I had no siblings. So I had to sit there and go, well, what am I going to do? I'm bored of my toys. And I would go find something to do because to your point, it helps you be more creative. You're like, okay, well, what am I going to do? I I'm kind of stuck here and I'll have to figure something to do. But that's good exercise for your brain because your brain's going, well, I have some old pens here that don't work anymore. I've got this little tissue box here. And, and I would make like some fort with some army guys and stuff like that. But that's good because... I'm using my brain to entertain myself instead of just headed towards social media. Yeah. When I was a kid, I remember this three to four day stint where we couldn't go outside because it was literally too cold. Like you would get, uh, if you were ex exposed, uh, your skin was exposed outside, you would get frostbite within five to 10 minutes or something like that. And the first day was great because, you know, staying home from school and don't have to do that work and everything. And the second day I was bored out of my mind and I did the same thing. Like I was, uh, at first, I was really frustrated, but then I started searching around, like, what can I, what can I play with? What can I do? What can I create? I ended up creating one of the best pillow forts of my entire life. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> I remember those pillow forts, and uh, mom would come home from work, assuming she could get out to work, and there'd be like sheets all over the house. And I'm like, "What are you doing? <laughs> it's a fort, mom! It's the coolest thing." Uh, my mom didn't understand that, but uh, I guess you had to be a child to understand that. Um, so I want to I want to pivot a little bit here into hypnosis because um, you're going you're going to have to convince me if this thing is real because I I remember uh, my wife and I used to watch uh, America's Got Talent. And several seasons ago, they had a hypnotist on there and he was like hypnotizing people and stuff like that. And, and, it, and when he was done before the judge judged everybody, they go, were you hypnotized? He goes, no, 
I was, I wasn't. So I don't know if he knew what he was doing or not. So explain to me what is hypnosis? Because we all seen those magic shows at carnivals where oh, I'm going to you know look at the watch and and now you're a monkey or something like that. Uh, explain to us what what you uh, look at hypnosis as. Absolutely. And, and before I really dive into that, I want to touch on that point that so many times people don't think they're hypnotized because we don't really, if we've never experienced it before, we don't really know what it feels like. I have a lot of clients who, uh, after the first session, they're like, I, I don't know if I was hypnotized. That was a, I, I felt really relaxed. Yes. But um, I'm not sure if I was fully in the experience. That happens so much in the hypnosis community that we've actually got a professional term for it. Like people who uh, think they, who don't really believe they were hypnotized. Uh, the first time that I was hypnotized, it was on stage. And I also didn't believe I was hypnotized. But after I saw the recording, like there were things that I didn't remember doing. And they were well within my moral code, let's be honest. Um, I wasn't like beating anyone up or doing like robbing a bank or anything, but I didn't remember doing them. And so what we do in hypnosis to counteract that, we actually build in some of that theatrical stage elements, like sticking a person's hand to their leg or having their eyes uh, shut and they can't open them just so that they can prove to themselves that hypnosis actually worked because hypnosis, it's all about working with your unconscious mind and your conscious mind can really unravel some of the work that you do unconsciously if it doesn't believe that it happened. I know stories of hypnotists who um, do amazing work and like for the first three days, their clients are over the moon and then they call them up a week later and they're like, well, I had this doubt about it and I kept looking at it and nitpicking it and then they undo basically the work that they had done in that session. Uh. But what is hypnosis? Hypnosis, in my definition, is is like meditation, except you are bringing in tools from psychology and neuroscience to make changes at that deep unconscious level. In a nutshell, you are bringing people to that deep state. You're slowing down their brainwaves to that theta frequency, which is that frequency just above sleep. And that's kind of why it looks like sleep. But in hypnosis, you're typically aware the entire time. When you're in theta, two things happen. One, your creative side of your mind lights up and it communicates with your unconscious a little more effectively because your unconscious communicates with thoughts and uh, feelings and images. That's why we get that negative gut feeling when something is wrong. And the other side of getting down to theta is that the critical faculty, the part of your mind that is active in um, blocking out things that it doesn't believe in or things that it doesn't trust, that is a little more permissible. Now, it is not completely offline. The one question I get all the time is, is hypnosis mind control? And it it cannot be because your mind is always working for your benefit. It stems from that primal part of you, the fight, flight, or freeze response. And if at any time you violate that trust with a person's mind, it's going to bring them out of trance. Wow. Okay, so let me ask this question. Um, Because you, based on what you just said, I got a question for you. I'm definitely afraid of needles. I don't like giving blood. I don't like even get my finger pricked. I mean, I am deathly scared. I mean, when I go to get blood drawn, they, my wife is on one arm, the other, the, the, the phlebotomist is on the other arm and she uses the smallest butterfly needle. Cause I'm like hyperventilating Would hypnosis. Help me with that. Absolutely. <laughs> hypnosis over time. That's one of the things that's most known for curing phobias. And it's funny you mentioned that because literally just about 10 days ago, I was working with a client on a fear of needles. I mean, phobias and 
fears, that's one of uh, that's one of the the bread and butter of hypnosis. Wow, because I, you know, I when I have to go get blood, it's like I don't even, I don't get blood at my local blood bank. I am that petrified. I mean, I see the machines, I see the needle, and it's just like. No, I'm out of here. Okay. And <laughs> and the thing is, I didn't have a bad experience with needles. I don't know where it came from, but I know phlebotomists who don't like needles. They they'll they'll stick you, but they don't like to be stuck themselves. And so that's very interesting that you said that one of the biggest things that hypnosis helps people with is phobias. So not just needles, but maybe fear of dogs or fear of guns or fear of you know winter weather or something like that. And that's probably a bad, bad example, but you're saying any phobia. <laughs> Any phobia, yeah, uh, because we're basically swapping out a response for that. You know, you see the stimulus of the the needle or the the dog or whatever it is, and your mind immediately throws in that habitual response. And what we're doing, we're changing that response so that it throws in a a different thing, like feeling calm or feeling you know empowered or just you know sitting in the chair confidently and being stuck by this needle, whatever it may be. Hey, I now have an affiliate program where you can earn up to 30% commission just referring people to my paid program. To find out more, go to MrProductivity.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the link. Wow. Well, I, I don't have any plans of getting stuck anytime soon, but I think I'll give you a call before it gets to that point because there's no sense doing it now because, you know, I don't know if it wears off like Tylenol, but so it's just, it's just <laughs> good to know uh, because I have, I'm sure that like any other industry, hypnosis, hypnotists have people who are not really hypnotists. Uh, they're out there as scammers and that's probably something y'all have to deal with. Oh yes. We, there are so many hypnotists who are, I wouldn't say scammers, but just poorly trained hypnotists. Uh, to be honest, to be a hypnotist, it doesn't take a lot of work. I mean, to actually learn how to hypnotize someone, you can do that in three to six months, but to actually learn how to uh, use the, the tools like the neuroscience, the psychology to actually make changes that last for the rest of a person's life, that takes some time, like a couple of years. And then you go into the actual practice and start working with people and seeing the results. And the unfortunate thing about hypnosis is that there are not enough hypnotists yet that any government has dedicated the resources to create some sort of board. Like, for doctors in America, there's a, a national board that regulates who can and cannot be a doctor. In hypnosis, we unfortunately don't have that yet. And so there are a lot of poor, uh, private organizations who are attempting to do this in that kind of vacuum. And I think in in the U.S. alone, there are like three different professional organizations. And that's a good place to start. But the problem is there aren't like... Who decides what qualifies as a hypnotist, as a good hypnotist? And so when someone is looking for a good hypnotist, that's where I start and with that caveat and say, see who they're registered with, what boards are registered with. And that's if they are registered that, you know, that's a good sign, but it's not the only thing. I would recommend people do their research. And typically what I say, go to their website, see if they've got you know, videos of themselves, see if they've got client testimonials, see if you actually trust them from the quality of their website, and then go onto the web and see if you can find their work in other places beyond their website. If they've been published on podcasts, or if they've been published in the news, or if they've got videos on YouTube. So, you, so hypnosis is all about trust. And the cool thing about 2020, about um, everyone going online is that if 
a person, you know, before it was limited to their local hypnotist if they wanted to solve a problem. Now they've got thousands of hypnotists to choose from around the world to, uh, so if they, do, if they find someone that they really don't mesh with, just go on Google and find someone else. At the end of the episode, I'm going to ask Doug to tell us how we can get in touch with him if you're interested, because I know that I certainly am. Uh, so we'll have that at the very end of the episode. So the next question I have for you is share with us the most dramatic experience you have with a client. Uh, maybe it was a big phobia they had to get over. Share that with us because I, I want to really land this plane on a really high note here. Yeah, you bet. The one I always tell is of a CEO out of California. And so since I deal with uh, sensitive information, I am bound by HIPAA laws. So know that all important details are changed. Let's call this guy Bill. Bill was in his 50s and he ran a company out of California. And he came to me because recently he had gone over the handlebars of his mountain bike. And when we went into hypnosis, uh, we looked at this and we were trying to figure out, is this the initial cause? And what we often find is that there's an initial sensitizing event further in their past. And then whatever traumatic experience, it's just the trigger that starts it. And so we went back and we looked at his memories and there was one that he completely blocked out. And it was of his childhood of learning how to ride a bike. Uh, his father had forgotten to tighten up one of his training wheels and it fell off. And he had that moment of terror when the bike literally tipped over and he had no control. And that fear had built up and had created so many coping mechanisms that when we change that memory, so many other things change in his life. And touching on that, when we're changing memories, I mean, we're doing this all the time naturally. Simply in hypnosis, we're doing this intentionally. When we change a person at that level, all the coping mechanisms that were on top of that start to naturally fall away. And the cool thing about hypnosis is that unlike therapy, where you go in and you find whatever traumatic event happened and you unpack and you sort through all the other clothes in that luggage, you literally just take that emotional baggage in hypnosis and chuck it out the window. Like you, you don't need that anymore. Just get rid of it. And so in Bill's case, that's what we did. We said, you don't need these negative emotions anymore. We'll give you the resources. And um, he came out of it and I could tell immediately that he was kind of blown away by what had happened. And I get a call a couple of weeks later. He's been back on his mountain bike. He's been feeling awesome. And he's been really excelling in his business. But then I get a call a couple months later. And he said, you know, I really don't know if this, like, I don't know how exactly it was connected. But he's like, it's got to be connected somehow. Because that was the turning point in my life. Because He's been, he was feeling so much more self-confident. He actually left his corporate job and started his own business. And he was working on his own blog and getting that up. He said, I've been dreaming of doing this for like three to five years. And that was the, the spark that gave me the courage to really step out on my own. You know, and you mentioned something really early, uh, a couple minutes ago about the trust. And obviously, when you put something, someone under hypnosis, you know, they're going to tell you things that, you know, you have to keep confidential. So I think when you're doing your research, make sure that you do trust the person and that they respect your confidentiality, because if you get someone and they're giving you all kinds of confidential information, you could exploit them. So I understand why you, you talked, you, you made the statement. It's all about trust. Absolutely. If you have that trust with your hypnotist, that's, that's going to be a good fit. Um, 
There are hypnotists out there who go completely on the, on the woo-woo side of things. There are hypnotists like me who go completely on the, the scientific side of things. Like there's over 125 years of research behind hypnosis. And when I get a, an analyst or a, uh, a CEO coming in who wants the results, who wants to see um, exactly how this works and they want to have measurable results at the end of it, I can work with that person. And the benefit of that is that I can meet a person wherever they are on that woo-woo scale. But uh, wherever you feel or whatever you feel about hypnosis, whether you want the really hardcore scientific side of it, or if you want the um, esoteric, like past life regression, whatever you, you know, believe hypnosis is, you can find that, especially nowadays with so many hypnotists online. All right. Well, you gave us a lot to think about, sir. And uh, I know people are really excited about finding out how they can find out more about you. Before we do that, we do this fun thing to wrap up the show. It's called Mike Swap. So I'm going to allow you to be the temporary host of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Um, you don't have to say you don't have to say the name Stuchowski. Don't ask me for credit card information or, or you know, <laughs> personal information. And don't try to hypnotize me. OK, just just ask me some questions you're curious about. Uh, we could talk about the hypnosis thing off air. So the mic is now yours, my friend. Absolutely. Mark, the first question that I have for you is, what is the piece of advice that you give to your coaching clients and people you work with? What's the one piece of advice that you always come back to? Well, it's interesting is I get asked this question quite frequently. My answer is never the same. Sometimes I say, <laughs> always tell your time where to go instead of wondering where it went. Sometimes I say live intentionally. But I, I right now, I've been telling people to be happy. What does happiness look like for you? Um, don't look at the money. Don't look at your occupation. Look at your happiness. Are you happy what you're doing? Do you wake up every day excited or do you wake up every day? Oh, it's another day because that affects your productivity because I have been studying productivity for you know 15 years now. And I can tell you people who are happy are more productive than those who are just like, oh, I got to go to work again. So that's what my answer is today. I love that. Looking at gratitude, uh, for me personally, 2020 was a big upset for as for many people. I had plans to do this big trip. And when that happened, I was I was bummed about it. But looking back now, I'm so grateful for the way that 2020 turned out. Looking at your past in 2020 and perhaps the major uh, shifts that you've had in your business, in your life, how do you find that gratitude for things that at first feel really negative in your life? Well, a prime example for me is uh, July 2005 when I was fired from my corporate job. Um, when you get fired, you get angry and you're like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Michael Jordan of this company. Who do they think they are? But now I look back on it. You know, Years later, I'm like, what if I was never fired? Would I even have a podcast? Would I be a productivity guy? Would I be Mr. Productivity? I don't know. Um, so I was not grateful for it at the time. But now I am. Uh, 2020 forced me, like so many other people, to pivot. Uh, I created a new program that my my clients love because it's more affordable and they get daily help from me. So I think every once in a while we need to have our lives shooken up, and it may not be, you know, it may not be happy at the time. You may not be grateful for being this shaken up. But you know what? If you go a couple years back, uh, go a couple years forward, and then look back and go, you know what? that was a good thing that happened to me. But in the moment, I understand in the moment, like, um, like recently one of my uh, former stepsons passed away a couple days ago. All right. Uh, suddenly. Okay. Yeah. Now we may not find out for 
couple weeks, couple days, you know, couple years, whatever the case may be, but maybe it was a good thing. And we don't look at death as a good thing. Okay. My, my mother's mother died of Alzheimer's. Okay. She was a shell of herself. So for her to pass on, it was a good thing because she was in a lot of pain. She didn't know what she's doing. So just because a situation is negative doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It may be in the moment, but if you zoom out and go, you know what, maybe this will change the trajectory of my life. So you know, the recent winter storm we had in Texas, you know, I didn't want it. I don't like it to be 11 degrees in Houston, but you know what? I, I got to still have great conversations with people like you. I got to do some writing and I got to spend time with my wife and stuff like that. So, you know, I was grateful because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. We have not had this kind of cold weather for like 150 years in Houston. I wasn't alive back then and it probably won't happen for a very long time again. So, I think any situation you come across, you can say, listen, this sucks. So you know what? What lessons can I learn from this? I think you could do that in every situation, whether it's a good situation or a painful one. Yeah, you answered my third question completely. So I think that's all the questions I had. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a a temporary host of the show. And uh, the final question, and I know people are really excited about this. Where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing? Absolutely. The best place to find me is my website, anywherehypnosis.com. I call it that because I work with people all around the world. I was just working with someone from Sydney, Australia yesterday. But uh, on that website, there are a couple different free resources. The one I would point people to is called the Hypnotic Test Drive. And that's where I give people a free taste of hypnosis. Uh, and it's not just putting a person you know, in a good state. It's working on the three things that I see most commonly people coming in for. Uh, confidence and self-belief, uh, motivation, and dealing with difficult emotions. And that hypnotic test drive will give you some beneficial suggestions uh, around those three things. And it will also um, show you exactly what hypnosis feels like. And they can find that on my website, anywherehypnosis.com slash test drive. Well, I am going to go check it out because I'm fascinated. Do you have any hypnosis techniques to make my feet feel warmer? Is that is that a thing? <laughs> uh, no, I, it'll happen. In the next couple of days, we'll be in the 70s and my feet will be warm. Uh, I just don't like cold feet. I don't like being cold, period. I used to live in, like I said, Rochester, New York. I moved down here to be with the heat. And so when it gets this cold, I'm like, um, who left the refrigerator door open up in the uh, up in Canada? Shut the door. You got um, it. Yep. So, Douglas, this has been so much fun. I, I learned a lot. I'm definitely going to go check out your website, any, anywherehypnosis.com, and uh, take a test drive because I'm, I'm a little leery, but you got me less leery. Um, so I'm going to go check it out. So thank you so much for being on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchewski Podcast. I really hope it served you well today. Now head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com. Sign up to be a free Mark Stuchewski Insider. Get my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. Absolutely free. It's my gift to you. And until tomorrow, my friend, go be productive.